All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks over at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. That is Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic. Check them out on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, whatever it is. They've got you covered for all of your trading card needs, as you can see on the beautiful desk in front of us from the iconic Sheraton Wall Center. My name is Dave Wajelli. I am joined by Harmon Dial, our technical producer. The man at the controls is Grady Sass. We are here to wrap up two, five, two, not victories, five, two games for the Vancouver Canucks, falling five to two to the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday, winning five to two against those Montreal Canadiens on Sunday. Harmon, first of all, how are you? How's the weekend? I'm doing great. I had a blast watching hockey. I'm definitely in uh, better condition than you. Sounds like uh, the morning wasn't uh, great for you. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but yeah, the dog, he was sick at five in the morning. He's whining and I was like, okay, well, I got to attend to him. So we we had a little nap on the couch, which was nice. Um, but there was a little bit of cleanup involved in between those naps. So it wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't the best morning, I'll say. Yeah, I mean, for the Canucks, this road trip going out to the east first of all you nailed it you said they were going to win two out of three on on that uh road trip plus you called it's a the pretty NBA safe prediction right <laughs> i mean they've been pretty safe predictions but you've been nailing them so keep going but yeah i mean i think before the weekend games you would have looked at the ottawa performance and went they were probably a bit lucky to win that one only generating 16 shots or so the weekend games, I thought their performance was much better. I know the scoreline in the Toronto game wasn't very pretty, losing 5-2, but the first period the Canucks had was outstanding. I think they limited Toronto to three shots or so in that opening mm-hmm. frame. I think where they where they lost was lost was just in that in that second period, being unable to capitalize on all those power play opportunities and yes. being able to really bury the game home. And it sounds weird to say, considering their only two goals were on the power play, but just in that situation, especially when you get the five on three, they needed to sort of bury the hatchet. And it wasn't just that they couldn't score. It's that they lacked the ability to at least generate chances and keep momentum. They were just sort of out of sync. And uh, from there, it felt like Toronto was able to take over. Um, you know, Hughes and Ronick had a tough night against uh, the Leafs. 
getting tagged against the bottom six for a couple of goals against, which is pretty uncharacteristic. Uh, but then strong bounce back, I thought, I thought against Montreal. I didn't love actually their first period. I thought uh, the Canucks didn't generate, even though their forecheck was good, it just felt like the Canadians were able to keep the Canucks to the outside. Yep. But in the last 40 minutes, it was all Canucks. DeSmith obviously giving them a great start. Uh, and you finally started to see the offense get going as well. So um, absolutely, two, two out of three wins overall, you take it. Let's quickly go back to the Toronto game. You mentioned it, Philip Ronick and Quinn Hughes. That was their worst game of the season by far. And I had the stat out there on Twitter that that was one of the best pairings in the league. I think they were fifth best of all defense pairings with at least 100 minutes played together at five on five. To In terms of goals against, they were fifth best in the league. And I think it dropped them down to ninth after that that performance against Toronto. And like you said, Toronto's bottom six. So, hey, great game for Toronto's bottom six. You just wouldn't expect it from the Hughes and Heronic pairing to be the guys on the ice giving up those goals. And the thing that I thought they had trouble with was breaking the puck out of their own end. Like, those guys were under siege on the forecheck. And look, usually we're so used to Quinn Hughes just being always being able to find a way out. And it's funny because he, he looked human on Saturday. Like, he didn't look bad. He just looked human. And... For the most part, to start this season, he hasn't really looked human. He's looked like he's just an absolute wizard with the puck, no matter where he is, no matter where he needs to get the puck out of. Quinn Hughes always seems to be able to manage to either wheel it out or to put it out properly and find an outlet pass. And he was just having trouble. And so was Philip Peronic on that game. And I think that, again, the second period, they couldn't win the game in the second period against Toronto. And then... In Montreal, they won the game in the second period. And it was just funny how those were two, you know, five twos, the final score in both games, but polar opposites for the Vancouver Canucks. And it was the second period that it came down to in both games. And it's just successful overall road trip. But man, the timing couldn't have been worse for that Toronto game because, you know, you got the bright lights of of uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, Quinn Hughes has all this, all this hype behind him. Canucks Twitter is, has been going to war for this guy. And... Quinn himself obviously knows how big that type of stage is, knowing that the Eastern media, this is their sort of big chance to uh, to to see him. And it's just bad timing for him to have one of the only sort of um, bad performances he's had this season um, relative to his extremely lofty standards. And for, I'm sure, a lot of Eastern media people to have the confirmation bias of, oh, yeah, you know, this is the same player we thought we saw in the ball and in, um, in the 56 game all Canadian division in in 2021, and that's where uh, we saw over at the Athletic, uh, my colleague Dom Lushijin. Oh boy, Grady, if you could pull it up, taking a victory <laughs> lap, posting. Good thing I stayed up past my bedtime to watch this Canucks game. Weird how quiet my mentions are though. Does everyone in Vancouver take a nap from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m.? And that caused quite the storm. <laughs> Predictably, Canucks Twitter clapping back. The I think my favorite response was from Brendan Bachelor. Great if you can pull that up as uh, as well. This isn't even a response. This is a subtweet. This is the best thing about it. This is a subtweet. This isn't in response to. Well, it obviously is. Yeah. But he didn't reply to Dom with this. I just love that Batch. Batch wasn't working that night, right? Yeah. Like Batch wasn't on the radio call. He was just he was just chilling. And I absolutely love that he tweeted this out. You go ahead. You read yeah. it. Oh, so small samples don't matter until the team you've been saying will regress loses one game. So you can use it to validate what you've been preaching for more than a month while only looking at spreadsheets and not watching games? Question mark. Okay, good. Just thought I'd clarify. And then he followed it up. I, I don't know if we have the second one. but We don't have the up. second one. He followed it up and goes, uh, something along the lines of sports were fun until uh, nerds got a hold of them. Yeah. Dom's just trolling there. I, I texted him after, and uh, and I think we'll be having an extended conversation with him on the show. Yeah, later this week. So that's uh, something to look uh, look I'm, forward. I'm to. excited because something we do when we have guests on the show, and it looks like Dom's coming on on Thursday, folks. So you can look forward to that, or you can you know get involved because what I was just about to say is sometimes when we have guests, we'll say, "Okay, any questions for these guests in the chat?" And I'm curious what the chat's gonna say when Dom's on. Uh, Dom's on Thursday show, but on Tuesday show today, Tuesday, November 14th, Jeff Patterson of Rinkwide will join us. I was with Jeff on Rinkwide after the Sunday game in Montreal, and we had a few takeaways. I'll start with Casey DeSmith. We'll start in goal and we'll kind of work our way out here. I'll start with Casey DeSmith on Sunday, and this is something I talked about on Friday's episode, and I've been talking about it for a while now. I think I mentioned it three times. We've only been working together for like a week, but 
Casey DeSmith giving the Canucks the opportunity to rest Thatcher Demko and to play in two of those three games. The Canucks have a stretch here where they have seven games in 11 days. So while it looked like, okay, well, maybe you can ride Demko. And in years past, they absolutely would have. They would have said, okay, maybe we'll start Demko two of these three games. Hell, maybe he'll start three out of three, depending where the Canucks are in the standings, right? Um, Meaningful games in November. We always say it. Um, If Thatcher Demko had to start those games, yeah, he's got the two days off with Monday and today being Tuesday before they play again on Wednesday. But the fact that he now gets to start on Wednesday Having had that much rest, that's massive for his game. Not only that he had the rest before Saturday's start, but also after Saturday's start. Like he's getting a good deal of rest right now. And I think that Casey Smith is providing the Canucks with that opportunity. It's just massive for the team. And it's something that I think when we look back on Demko's season, and yeah, he's the favorite to win the Vesna, all this stuff. When we look back on it, I think we're going to have to really take a hard look at Casey Smith and say, wow, this guy this guy deserves a ton of credit. Like he's not knocking on the door to take the starting job by any means. That's not going to happen, but he's going to deserve a lot of credit. If Demko is able to, you know, let's say Demko starts like, I don't know, 50 games, 50 in that range, right? Like if he's, if he's in like the 45 to 55 or 60 range, right? We wouldn't have been expecting that. And if he's able to do that, that's going to be massive for the team that Casey Smith is able to take that load off him. Harmon, if I had told you, that the Canucks would pick up two wins on this road trip, which I did. But then I also threw in, oh yeah, and Casey DeSmith is going to pick up both wins. Would you have believed me? Never. Exactly. Before the season, there's no way I, I would have been able to sort of see that um, that type of scenario coming in. His performance in the opening period, I thought, was important because Montreal, even though the Canucks, I thought their bottom six was doing a good job of getting their forecheck established and, you know, the Garland Garland line all night was uh, absolutely cooking. It felt like the top six hadn't found its gear yet and uh, Hironic again was sort of struggling against Montreal, so the top pair wasn't quite as dominant as they've usually been this season and that created, created an environment where when the Canadians got the puck, there were situations where, where they were able to attack off the rush. They were able to uh, skate with open ice. I mean, how many chances did Slavkovsky have? Oh, yeah. Third start of the game, by the way. Montreal, they, RDS, which is the French version <laughs> yeah. of TSN, they named him third star of the game with his zero points and minus two on the stat line. Like, I was like, okay. You got a feel for him, though. He's number one pick, and I mean... So you give him third it's star prog- to pump his tires? It's progress to have <laughs> six shots on goal. That's true. I mean, honestly, that's been yeah. He has pressure been, cooker. Yes. It's yeah. it's crazy, but yeah, I mean, third star when you don't have any <laughs> points and minus two. That's a bit of a tough scene there. Um, yeah, he's been brilliant, and to sort of bring it back to, I think one of the other keys in that Montreal game was just that Garland line was yeah. absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think this was Garland's best game of. The season, the way that he was hounding the puck, winning mm-hmm. it back, it felt like any time the puck was within a three-foot radius of him, regardless of if it was on the opponent's stick or not, he was just able to swipe it away. And I think the big difference between when Garland is effective when he's driving play and when he's not is he's able to use his work rate, his feistiness to get in on the inside, right? When he's struggling, it feels like he's just stuck on the perimeter and he's doing his twirls and spins and it's not accomplishing a whole lot. Connor Garland is skilled, but he's not skilled enough to rely solely on his hands or his playmaking or his shot to be able to be effective. He really needs to rely on that nonstop motor. He needs to be an energizer bunny. And that's what Mm -hmm. he's been recently. I mean, even you look at the assist he had on... The Joshua goal. How many puck battles did he win? In I counted that four. Just unbelievable sequence there. Even the goal he scored. How hard he's driving to the middle to get right in front. It's it's yeah. his ability to get to the inside and just not stop moving his feet. That is so key to him being effective. And I'll say this: when you have an excess of wingers, fit obviously matters, right? Because I think about somebody like Brock Besser. He's been really effective in that second line role. He's not a player that would be effective in the bottom six doing what Garland right. is because uh, Besser, when you, when we saw him with Sheldon Dries, for instance, he just doesn't have the foot speed to drive play. Besser's the type of player that's a complimentary piece on the line. He needs somebody else to set him up for chances, and that's when he's going to be best, whereas Garland is somebody that can push play. And 
you, you look at the you look at the numbers so far this year. Canucks have outscored teams eight to two when Garland's been on the ice, and the underlying metrics are pretty dominant too. So even though the points haven't been there, he's been really effective. I mean, um, you know, I was looking at some of the new NHL Edge tracking data, uh, tracking data, which um, you know, player and puck tracking. Yeah. So the average NHL forward spends forty one percent of their time in the defensive zone. Garland only spends. 36.8% of his time in the defensive zone, which is not, which is the 92nd percentile wow. of all NHL forwards. So he is one of the best forwards in the NHL and making sure that, Hey, when I'm on the ice, we as the Canucks are not going to be defending in our own zone. And that's not because he's great defensively without the puck per se. It's because of how much he does to push play, uh, how, how effective he is in the four check. And that's why, Canucks have only surrendered two five and five goals with him on the ice so far this season. Do you think we get to a stage with Garland where we see him kind of pull a Brock Besser and say, you know what? I don't want to be traded anymore. And I know there's all this semantics about, oh, I never put in a trade request. Do you you think the agent stops looking for a trade at some point here? Because you and I were talking off air right before the show started. This is a continuation of what we saw from Connor Garland down the stretch under Rick Tockett last year, who he played under in Arizona as well. And he played well with Tockett in Arizona and he played well down the stretch with Tockett last season. And it seems like a continuation of last season, even though last season was frustrating. It looks like he's starting to kind of find that home, albeit in the bottom six. Well, winning's really fun. And from a culture standpoint, uh, when, when you're contributing to one of the hottest teams in the NHL, that's that's a totally different experience than what he and, and the rest of his teammates would have gone through last season. So I'm sure that uh, makes him a lot happier. I'm sure that's a lot more fun of a situation to be in. Uh, and frankly, when it comes to Garland's situation, whether or not he wants a trade is frankly irrelevant. At this point, it's about, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, what's the best way to manage this player, manage this asset, uh, so that you're able to provide the maximum value to your team. And right now the best value is with Connor Garland in the lineup because let's face it. He has no trade value right now in terms of how much he makes. And most importantly, the term left on his contract, there's no point giving up sweeteners. There's no point Mm -hmm. retaining salary. He's been an effective bottom six driver. Keep using him in that role. And in the off season, if you're still in a situation where both sides agree that look, we, would like to explore a different fit, then you do that then when, when other teams are more likely to have cap space, when the cap is um, likely shot up a little bit compared yeah. to the flat situation we're, we're in right it's now. It's supposed to be about $6 million. That's not really a little bit either. Hopefully it goes up. I, yeah. I understand the caveat, especially with uh, Gary Bettman's track record. Yeah, so the way things are going right now, just keep plugging along. I don't see any reason why the Canucks or Garland should um, should want to change right now. And there was a report last week from Darren Dreger uh, mentioning that there is less of a desire from Garland's camp to be moved on because how well they're playing and because Rick Toggett, quite frankly, likes what he brings. Like he's one of those guys you never have to question his effort, even when he's, you know, struggling to score. And we've seen consistency issues with him at the forefront. You know, he's still digging for pucks. He's still trying to get inside on guys. Sometimes it doesn't work because of the size mismatch. But, uh, you know, he is overpaid, but that there's still value at his contract, what he can bring in terms of five on five production and just kind of, you know, giving it his all on every shift. Speaking of giving it his all on every shift and never having to question effort. Let's bring him in. Jeff Patterson brought to you by Greta, the home of our electric watch parties. Greta is Canucks Army spot to catch the game throughout the season playoffs, which are coming and also our place to chill in the off season host of rink wide jeff patterson my co-host of rink wide on sunday night jeff patterson that has a pretty good ring to it doesn't it jeff yeah it was fun it was good to get you on we're gonna get harm on to uh, a rink wide here before too long as well so looking forward to that and uh yeah can't get enough of this uh, hockey club that is 11 3 and 1 and honestly the more i look at that number and that record like i just like who who saw that double? <laughs> Not us, Jeff. Uh, your takeaways from the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that they bounced back and uh, they're not going to win every game. And so, sure. I mean, I know that a huge portion of the fan base wanted, uh, if there was going to be a win on the road trip, they wanted it to be in Toronto. But 
look, outside of the power plays, uh, they weren't good enough against the Maple Leafs. I like the fact that they responded 24 hours later. They got a Montreal team that was also playing back-to-back. Bit of a frantic first period, and then the Canucks took over, and I heard you talking about Connor Garland, and, you know, nice to see him rewarded. He has been playing well, but there wasn't a bottom line, and when he's getting paid what he's paid, uh, I know he's a lower, a little lower in the lineup than he'd probably like to be, but he settled in on that line with Suter and Joshua, but there still has to be a bottom line for him. And so as good as he was in the second period and really throughout that hockey game, you know, my concern is it can't be another 10 or 12 games before he rises up and we rave about him yet again. So uh, I like the effort from Connor Garland. I like the effort from pretty much everybody in that uh, lineup on on Sunday, Casey DeSmith was terrific. Really like what I'm seeing from Ilya Mikheyev for a guy that, you know, coming off the surgery and didn't get a preseason or a training camp. Like, I had my concerns. How long was it going to take until he was able to, to be a factor? But he's already been a factor, uh, you know, and the goals are great. But I just think he's holding his own. And and on some nights, he's kind of been dragging that line along. So, again, there, there's just so much to like around this hockey club right now. And I wrote about it at Canucks Army yesterday. Like they're eleven three and one, they've scratched two Eastern road trips off the schedule already. The Vegas Golden Knights are in Washington tonight. This is the first time Vegas has played a game outside of the Western Conference. Vegas has only played five road games all season. Three of them are in the state of California, which isn't exactly uh, you know owners travel. <laughs> and look, I know they're the champs and they're good home and away. But when you look at where the Vancouver Canucks are and they're within striking distance of Vegas, and again, sentences that just I didn't think I'd be saying in mid-November, <laughs> uh, the Golden Knights have played five road games and 10 at home. Like, they haven't traveled yet, but they are kind of hitting the meat of their schedule now, eight of their next nine away from home. And in fact, the ninth game of that stretch will be here in Vancouver on the 30th of November. So the Canucks have hit a little bit of a soft pocket now, and that's what I wrote about at Canucks Army. I know everybody in hockey seems to be waiting for the other shoe to drop with this hockey club. And yet, look at their next 10 games. Two against Calgary, two against Seattle, two against the San Jose Sharks, one against the Islanders tomorrow night, and the Anaheim Ducks in there as well. Of those teams that I just mentioned, the Ducks are the only team <laughs> above the playoff bar right now. So, like, this 10-game stretch that'll take the Canucks up to the 25-game mark of their schedule... Like, it's there for them. There isn't a lot of travel. It's compressed. So that's going to present some challenges. But, I mean, they've met just about every challenge head on. I think this next 10-game stretch here, a real opportunity continue to continue to put distance between themselves and teams like the Flames and the Kraken that we kind of figured that they would be lumped with as this season unfolded. Jay Pat, you mentioned Ilya Mikheyev. He's up to, of course, six six goals and, and nine points in 11 games here. He's been terrific. What have you made of his line mates? Because I think we can agree Mikheyev's been sort of the, the best driver, especially over, over that this uh, little Eastern road trip. Uh, what do you make of what we've seen from Pedersen and Kuzmenko lately? Well, I think we knew this about Elias Pedersen. That guy's just so supremely talented that like, I don't think anybody's shocked that he's leading the NHL in scoring. And yet those that have watched him over his years in the NHL, and I put myself in this group, like I, just, I still don't feel like we have seen him absolutely take over hockey games the way Quinn Hughes has on a number of occasions this season, Harm. Yeah, he had the hat-trick game against Nashville, uh, and that's great. Um, you know, and then like the one timer that he scored in Ottawa on the power play, like that looked like vintage Julius Pedersen. I see people, you know, he had a quiet weekend. He didn't have much going on in Toronto and didn't find the score sheet in Montreal. So the league's leading score, you know, had a bit of a quiet weekend. It happens. But anytime it happens in this market, oh, he's got to be hurt. He's playing through things, that wrist. You know, there's, there's got to be, I can tell you, I was at practice today. He spent a fair bit of time along with Pia Suter and Teddy Bluger you know, doing face-off drills with Daniel and Henrik Sedin, like if the wrist was bothering him, he's not engaging in that kind of uh, exercise at practice. So again, I'm not shocked with where the point totals are, but I keep thinking to myself, like he is going to take over games. He's going to dominate. He's that good. And when that happens, like look out. So uh, the guy that I, I, I'm struggling to figure out right now is Andre Kuzmenko. And I put this out on Twitter on the weekend, just sort of asking people where they are with this play because the points are there. Like, it's not like he's not contributing. He assisted on the McKayev goal in Montreal on Sunday. 
Uh, the underlying numbers are, are really good, as they are for just about everybody on this team right now. But, you know, this guy burst onto the scene last year, and those goals were explosive, and he had the big grin and the smile and the personality, and we we're all sort of learning about him at this time last year. It's been pretty quiet around Ilya, around Andre Kuzmenko. Again, not terrible. I think the biggest difference is that those doorstep goals that he scored so many of, they're not there. And part of that is just because of the motion and the movement on the power play. And, you know, I'm sure Kuzmenko is not complaining about a power play that's running north of 30% right now, uh, but he just doesn't seem to be a big part of it. He might lead the team in third assists if they gave those out because he is involved. He's touching the puck, but he's just not converting uh, at the rate that he did. So the three goals, 15 games in, I mean, I think we all expected that there was going to be a setback and a, uh, a setback's not the right word, a decline. And there has been, but I don't think he's playing poorly. It's just that it almost feels like Rick Tockett is turning Andre Kuzmenko into Phil DiGiuseppe a little bit, that he wants him to be, <laughs> he wants the Russian Phil DiGiuseppe. He wants him to, to win his board battles and, you know, get in on the forward check and turn pucks over. And you do have to do those types of things at the National Hockey League level but where, you know, this is a guy that has some of that flair to his game. I think that's what's missing from Kuzmenko's game right now. We're just, we're not seeing sort of the same flair that he showed on so many nights last season. Jeff, you were at practice this morning. You wrote about it over at CanucksArmy.com. Great job, by the way. But Thanks, Bo Horvat in town tomorrow. And you asked a few Canucks about this, the reception tomorrow. What do you expect when Bo Horvat takes to the ice tomorrow? I'll get to that in a sec, but I, I just let me say, and I think Rick Tockett has pushed just about every right button. Like, it's hard to find a misstep uh, in the way that he has handled things. And I thought it was really interesting. They had yesterday off after back-to-back games and the Eastern Road Trip, and they've got back-to-backs on Wednesday and Thursday. And again, this 10-game stretch is really compressed. So Tockett talked about the fact that, you know, he didn't want his guys out on the ice for long. So they were only out for about 30 minutes today, and it wasn't a conventional practice, not a lot of line rushes, not a lot of... Uh, you know, drills and game state, like replicating whether power play or penalty kill. They did a short area game where they brought the nets to the blue line. And it was just kind of about fun. And, and I think getting guys uh, back around the rink, and obviously it's a, a game day tomorrow. And so uh, they'll start to focus on the Islanders. But just the, the spirits of this group right now, and again, it comes back to this record, like they are having fun. They're enjoying themselves. And why wouldn't they, uh, especially in contrast to where they were at this time last year? But yeah, Bo Horvat's back tomorrow. I know that the market's been wondering about the reception. Uh, the three players that I talked to, and they were all brought out, it wasn't just me. I mean, they did the media scrum. Uh, the first one was JT Miller. And it was kind of funny because the first question was about Horvat. And you could just see the look on JT's face. And he said, <laughs> I don't want to dip my toe in that basket. But then he gave a glowing review of Bo. He said, I know that there's been lots of talk in the market and the rumors and all those types of things. He had nothing but good things to say about Bo Horvat. Uh, he didn't want to comment on what kind of reception he was going to get. Quinn Hughes, the current captain, speaking about the former captain, you know, he kind of laid it right out there and said, like, I would expect that he's going to get a warm welcome. And he would hope that he did. And then went on to talk about all the years of service and the fact that uh, Bo was always there and available and, you know, he stood in front of the microphones on a regular basis. And, you know, it was a very sort of captain answer from Quinn Hughes. And Elias Pettersson was asked about it as well. And, you know, Elias came right out and said, like, I hope he doesn't get booed. Uh, you know, so we heard that basically from the players that, uh, you know, they're expecting that uh, there will be a, a, a very solid, a warm uh, reception for Bo Horvat, that uh, first TV timeout in the first period when they always do the the video tributes. And I would think that uh, Horvat may get an extended one. Uh, and I've said this before. I, I, I think what you see on social media isn't necessarily what you're going to see and feel inside the rink. That I think a lot of the season ticket holders, uh, the people that have paid big money over the years, you know, I, I think that they appreciate all that Bo Horvat did for this organization on and off the ice. Uh, it's never just one guy. And yeah, he's sort of the face of a dark decade uh, through no fault of his own, really. I mean, could he have done more? Maybe a little bit, but, uh, you know, that guy was there when the chips were down in the playoffs in the bubble, uh, played some of his best hockey as a Canuck. Uh, you know, nobody ever questioned the effort and uh, did an awful lot for this hockey club. Uh, you know, it's just unfortunate for him that, that there was a lot of losing on his watch when he was the captain. But my hunch is, you know, maybe there will be some 
uh, booing from parts of Rogers Arena. But I think for the most part, the overwhelming response will be pretty positive for Bo Horvat. And look, it's an Islanders team that got off to a nice start, but didn't look great uh, the rest of the way against the Evans Oilers last night. Uh, interestingly enough, the Islanders had ice booked for UBC. That's where the Canucks practice today. Shania Twain is at uh, Rogers Arena, but uh, they elected to scrap their practice session. So a full day off in Bo Horvat's old hometown and uh, back to work for the Islanders tomorrow. Jay Pat, I wanted to ask you about Nikita Zadorov. There's been a lot of buzz around his name, multiple insiders connecting Vancouver as a team that could have strong interest or, or does have strong interest in him as a potential target. What do you make of Zadorov as a potential target? And, and do you like the fit? Do you not like the fit? What are your thoughts on uh, him? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think if this team is going to be a playoff team, then adding that type of player, that you know, a player with that kind of profile, uh, absolutely uh, could help the Vancouver Canucks. But I mean, the acquisition costs, quite frankly, scares me. And everything's going right for this team. I'm not sure that they need to jump in with both feet right now to make that kind of trade. So I would preach patience for the Vancouver Canucks to continue to get a better read on you know, how good this team really is. Uh, that said, he may not last in the market. There may be other teams that uh, meet Calgary's asking price. Uh, so the acquisition cost and slotting that kind of salary uh, under the Canucks' current cap situation is, a you know, it's a challenge, obviously. Uh, so, you know, who's moving uh, to make a deal like that one happen? Uh, the other part that you just can't discount in this day and age is the fact that he's represented by Dan Milstein and, you know, it shouldn't matter who a guy's agent is, but we know uh, the strong ties between Milstein and his organization and, and the Vancouver Canucks. And so, you know, I do think that you connect some dots there and uh, we've heard that the Canucks are going to be interested, whether it's through trade or if he hits the open market, um, you know, does the Carson Soucy situation, does it change the dynamics here? Is there more urgency you know, Talkit listed him as week to week. Well, they said that about him at the tail end of the preseason and week to week turned out to be two games. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not totally certain what week to week means anymore when it comes to injuries. And particularly, we've heard that an awful lot uh, around a, a few guys like Teddy Bluger. We thought originally it was week to week and that turned out to be five weeks. So it was, it was just week to week to week to week uh, to week. Uh, but to back to your point, like, you know, big, strong, physical guy. We know that Rick Tockett absolutely adores uh, the blueprint that the Vegas Golden Knights used to win the Stanley Cup. And I think along those lines, that Zadorov would would fit the bill. Uh, but I just keep coming back to this idea of at what cost and, you know, is this the time right now to be making a, a, that kind of move? You know, if he was a right shot guy, I think it's a different conversation. The fact that he's a lefty, uh, again, uh, Susie's injured, so but he's going to back, be back. It's not like you're replacing a guy that you've lost for the remainder of the season. The one thing I will say about all of this is, and I think it's important to remember, that Jim Rutherford is still the guy at the top of the hockey food chain here. Uh, his history has quite often been to try to get ahead of the market, to make trades well before the trade deadline, to identify his targets and you know, pull off the trade. So just remember who's ultimately calling the shots here in Vancouver. And we'll see if that comes to be, but uh, I don't know. It just, it feels a little too soon in a season where everything is going right for this hockey club to make that kind of splash right here, right now for a player that isn't perfectly suited. Again, as a left shot guy, I know he can play the other side, but we also know that uh, this coaching staff has been reluctant to do that. So um uh, you know, it's not a perfect fit for me, but I also can see that it's not that far off the kind of player I think that Rick Tockett and Adam Foote would like to get their hands on. Jeff, seems to be some rumblings around Elias Patterson right now. Our friend Frank Saravalli did some reporting today from Alvin at the NHL GM meetings. Would you just like to see the organization just get this contract done once and for all? Well, again, if he's going to lead the National Hockey League in scoring over the bulk of the season... Uh, the meter's running and the price is only going to go up from here. So, you know, from the organization standpoint, yeah, I mean, it would make sense to, I think, you know, he's proven again, it's only 15 games, but last year wasn't a mirage that this guy is one of the 
best forwards in the National Hockey League. And uh, I, I think if you could get the certainty around him and get him locked up and just remove uh, any of that discussion, I think we all remember we were there at training camp in Victoria and, you know, the first chance to talk to him and the question about the contract came up and, uh, you know, I've been there basically every day. Nobody's asked him since. Like if people thought that that was going to be this ongoing <laughs> issue and a distraction, it just, it hasn't been. I mean, that question had to be asked. It was our first chance to talk to him uh, after the summer, but it hasn't been the type of thing that's been asked of him on a daily basis here. He's gone about his business and, his business has been pretty good uh, to get to 25 points in, in 15 games. So it was unfortunate with the timing because so we had Elias there today and a chance to talk to him and he finished the scrum. And as people looked at their phones, that report uh, was coming out right then and there. And it was like, Hey, get back here. We, we got some more questions we want to ask you. It didn't go down that way. So another day where, you know, he's not asked about this This isn't an ongoing thing. We all know the story is there around him, uh, but it certainly hasn't affected him and that's been good for him. It's been good for the hockey club. Uh, you know, had he got off to a slow start and he stumbled out of the gates, I think it would have been fair to wonder if this was weighing on his mind in any way. But uh, he certainly seems to have been able to put that on the back burner and just play uh, and for the most part, play some terrific hockey. So, yeah, I, I think if the organization could get it done just to bring uh, some certainty uh, not only in the here and now, but also know that you've got this guy locked up, uh, presumably long term. But uh, if you're Pedersen in his camp, you know, maybe you want to play the waiting game a little bit more just to see, you know, ultimately how this season is going to play itself out. Jeff, great stuff as always, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Always fun, boys. Thanks for having me. As Jeff Patterson, courtesy of our friends at Greta. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Armin, and we'll do anyone else in a second here, folks, so get your anyone else's in, but what's Patterson's contract coming at? You're asking me before I've done... Sure. Just give me your, give me your gut. You I don't mean, need to, you don't need to put everything through a calculator. I like to be thorough <laughs> in my research. I don't like to guess like you. Vibes, guys. baby. Hey, <laughs> my vibes. I'm my vibes per sixty is per sixty is through the roof. I got the two out of three right. I got the Edmonton let's, right. Let's see. This, let's see your calculator do that. Okay, then, then let's see your. I vibes. mean, your calculator your probably could do that. Let's see. Let's see what uh, what your uh, vibes are. So. Let's say eight years because everybody wants to see eight years, right? Like, I, I'm i not even going to entertain. Like, I've seen people throw it around like, oh, he's probably going to sign for five, six years. Six years is what it'll come at. Like, why? Anyways, I mean, eight years. If you're the player, that, that could be how you maximize sure, your earning power. Sure. But eight years, if you're the team, you want to get it to eight years. Okay. Yeah. 
eight years for Elias Pettersson, I say the annual average value. At this point, if he signs tomorrow, it is not a penny less than 12.5. It's got to be at least that. I think it actually comes in at eight times 13. Yeah, I think that sounds reasonable considering the direction the cap's going to go in. And trust me. Because you have to project for that. So that's a $104 million contract. Like that's $104 million that you're committing to this guy. So and it's not cheap, but the cap, like you said, cap's going up. And you'll be thrilled the second he signs it. Yep. Because again, I'd rather pony up and give him the mega cap hit as long as it comes attached with long-term rather than a scenario like Matthews where it's more of a medium-term extension and now he's setting himself up to hit the open market again while he's still in his prime and then you'd have to worry about his next contract the same way when Pedersen was originally in RFA, the Canucks could have gone long and instead went the three-year bridge route, which uh, it's not looking great right now. No, especially when he teams up with Logan Cooley in Arizona. Okay. Uh, we'll get to our poll question, but we're going to do anyone else first. So, folks, get yours in. I want to hear your Elias Peterson contract huh, contract predictions. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. It's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION. 25. That's all capital letters, Nation25 for 25% off, up to $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order with the DoorDash app. Offer valid in Canada, subject exchange. Terms do apply. Okay, we had a lot of anyone else's in the chat, and I again, I'm, I'm making a conscious effort not to look at my phone while we're on the show because people, are, people think I'm just swiping around, going on TikTok and Instagram, that stuff kids our age do. Uh, I want to go really high up in the chat here, and we'll, we'll get the Elise Patterson stuff in too, but I wanted to get this one from Corey Anderson. Would you rather trade Beauvillier for one of the Calgary defenders having to give up assets, or would you rather trade him for a mid-round pick and sign Bear and gain assets? Little bit of a loaded question, so I'll answer it first. You take some time to read it, it's at the top there. If you're looking at it, and the reason I bring this one up is because a lot of the other anyone else's that came in later in the show were about trading for Chris Tanev or trading for Nikita Zadorov out of Calgary, right? And this is kind of the take I've always had is if you're going to make a win now move, which make no mistake about it, if you're trading for Chris Tanev, it is a win now move. You also have to keep an eye on the future. Like it can't be a traditional, this is a rental. This is a rental. So we paid, uh, geez, I don't know for Chris Tanev. Uh, we paid a second, a B prospect. And that was enough to get Chris Tanev in Vancouver for one last ride uh, with Quinn Hughes. So I'll take my phone back. <laughs> that was an interesting question to kind of think about and to ponder, if you will, as we just had Jeff Patterson on. And what I kind of landed on is if you're going to make a trade for Zadorov or you're going to make a trade for Chris Tanev, you need to get some bad money out. So again, Bovillier is the one that expires at the end of this year. Doesn't really help you when you need to sign Heronic next year. You've got Pedersen next year as well. And hey, we just threw out a $13 million cap hit starting next season for Lewis Pedersen. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if I had to pick one of these defenders, that was Adora or Tanev, I would choose Tanev. And the first offer I'd give Calgary is just to see where it goes. If you can ship out Connor Garland and a second or third round pick preferably a third obviously but it's probably gonna take a second let's be honest if they're taking money back i don't think i would do it for the first i don't think you give up no. your first round pick no uh, especially if it's just to get chris Tanner back and lose some money because that's the thing is we know the cost of doing business in today's nhl getting bad money off the books is you know it's going to cost you but with that in mind that's another thing that i've brought up before and it's kind of been shot down we had frank cervelli on and asked him about it about a month ago and I said, with the cap going up, do you think we're going to see a market correction on wingers where wingers have been so devalued lately and in you know in recent years in the NHL in the flat cap environment? I don't think anyone suffered more than obviously like grinders, bottom six wingers, but wingers in general have the markets just completely dried up for these guys. So I almost wonder if from Calgary's perspective, they might look at it and say, okay, here's a guy who drives play. He's playing very well right now. And this is a guy who's actually going to be locked up at 4.95 for a few more years. And maybe that's actually a pretty good cap hit for us to have on our books going forward. I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about was that's kind of my, that's where I land when it comes to a TANF deal is like, okay, can you also ship out Garland and get some money back? Maybe that's how Calgary views it. I doubt it personally. I mean, 
if I was in Calgary's shoes, first of all, the season's gone so poorly that at this point, if you're the Flames, you're looking at some type of bigger retool or rebuild. And if that's the case, what use does Connor Garland have to me? Especially when I know, when I know how hard the Canucks have been working the last couple of seasons to try and get rid of his contract. I know that I'm doing the Canucks a favor by taking on this contract. So, and it's not just a case like Bovillier's contract expires at the end of the season. So it's no big deal to sort of take back that type of deal. A lot of teams are pressed up against the ceiling. So you anticipate having to, for short term, the remainder of the season, eat some money. But when it comes to Garland, again, the remaining term is just, if I'm in a Calgary situation, if you were asking me to take Garland back as part of a deal, my ask is going, you know, a lot, a lot higher than it would be just for Tanev sure. alone. Okay, another one here. Do you guys think Hirose will be the only lefty called up over the next few weeks while Susie is out? Or can you see them rotate a few guys up and down? I've actually given this a lot of thought. We saw Akito Hirose. He was the guy called up. Jack Sudnika goes down. He cleared waivers. He's down in Abbotsford now. Hirose comes up. He was there at practice. Can we get the uh, practice lines here, Grady, actually? Um, Courtesy of our pal Jeff Patterson, who just joined us, at practice out at UBC today. These were the defense pairs. It was Hughes, Ronick, Cole, Juleson, Hirose and Friedman. Tyler Myers got a maintenance day. It doesn't look like he'll be a healthy scratch tomorrow. Hoaglander, that's another guy we got to bring up. Don't let me forget that. Hoaglander was also a healthy scratch, or looks like he'll be a healthy scratch tomorrow night uh, against the Islanders. But on the topic of the defense, I wanted to get to that because this question I think is a good one because people were wondering, okay, why is Hirose the guy who come up? Hasn't really lit the world on fire um, down in Abbotsford. So people were kind of wondering, okay, why isn't it Willannon? And what, what this makes me think is maybe they're not sure how long Susie's going to be out for. And then Tockett spoke after practice and basically confirmed that. Like he said, he still has to get some tests. So obviously Hirose is waiver exempt. So you can just send him up and down. Why risk losing Willannon on waivers if you're not going to need him up here uh, for more than a game or two. So I think that was kind of the thought process there. We'll see what happens, but that's just my sense of the situation is you don't want to lose a guy like Willannon who probably should be the first call up for this team right now. You probably don't want to lose him on waivers or even risk losing him on waivers. So that's why I think they called up Hirose. Maybe. I also just think Hirose was flat out better than Willannon in training camp and preseason. If I'm being totally honest, Willannon was honestly a little underwhelming for me. And yep. Even when, when I think back to that first preseason game when Vancouver got shelled 10-1, mm-hmm. Hirose stood out to me in terms of being the one defenseman who was in Calgary that night that did not get lit up, who actually looked competent. And, of course, he looked pretty solid in the few games that we saw from him down the stretch last season. Plus, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think Tockett did mention that Wolanin is a little bit banged up himself, Oh, which uh, may have influenced that decision. Because I don't think, I mean, Wolanin already cleared waivers at the season. Yeah. So I wouldn't be but too worried about start, that. start of the season That's waivers true. are different, right? It is true. Not too much. Your point is valid regardless. Um, I'm wondering if Cody Severson's listening, if he can give us an update on Wolanin. Because I haven't read anything about Wolanin being banged. Did Tockett say it today? I wasn't at practice today, so I, I don't. Uh, so I, I didn't wasn't firsthand there for for yeah. you know to see that, but I thought I may have seen a tweet about it. Okay. Someone in the chat, if you also saw it, let us know. I haven't seen anything about that. Yeah, hopefully, I'm not wrong for a second you, time. Yeah, you here. threw me off last show. You're like, I think Smith's gonna start back to back game. No, I didn't say he was gonna start. Oh, yeah, it was Demko. It, it was that. Yeah. Yeah, you said Demko would start back to back on the weekend. You're like, I thought Talkett said that. I'm like, what? No, not. I didn't think that Talkett had said he was gonna start back to back. I just thought that DeSmith was only gonna get one of the three games on that trip. Oh, so you, okay, okay, okay. Instead of two of the three. But you said it when we already knew that DeSmith was yeah. starting. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, okay. This is classic Canucks combo. Someone <laughs> pointed out in the chat. They're like, this is a vintage Canucks combo here. Okay, we got some good ones in the chat, courtesy of uh, Grady. This one from Chris. If the Canucks are waiting to sign Bear, would an upgrade on Joshua be the Canucks' biggest need for this roster? A real upgrade to play with Garland and Suter on the third line. I don't think so. I think Joshua's been fine. I think you don't love the fact that he's needed to have a fire lit under him twice already this season in the form of a healthy scratch, but he's had over 20 hits in those four games, I think was the total number. He's playing like a guy fighting for a job. And I think when we talked about Bluger coming back, that was kind of the main thing I spoke about was I want to see everybody in the bottom six kind of have their senses heightened a little bit of like okay this guy's right behind me and he could he's coming for my job like I need to be at my best here and 
The guy who's healthy scratched right now is obviously Niels Huglander. Look, Jeff and I broke this down. Anthony Beauvillier, only guy from Quebec. Obviously, he's going to play in Montreal. Now it's the Islanders. I Look, he's already played the Islanders. Jeff and I had this debate on rink-wide, and it's just like, you can only use the former team thing for so long. Like, what's next? Are we going to say, oh, he once rode a horse in Calgary, so <laughs> you can't bench him when they go to Alberta? Like, come on. At some point, you got to ice your best lineup. And to me, you got to put Niels Hoglander back in lineup. Anthony Bovillier has got to be the guy that comes out. The one difference, and not that I'm necessarily disagreeing with you, but the one difference between Bovillier and Hoglander right now is that Bovillier doesn't F up. Like, quite simply, he's been invisible. Let's let's call it, call it how it is. Bovillier has not played very well at all. But the one thing you can count on him for is reliability. And NHL coaches just value that. Even though Hoaglander does a lot of positive things that Bovillier hasn't, there are also some downsides. And what were we talking about last week? We were talking about Bluger's return and who he comes in for could come at the expense of whoever gives the coaching staff a reason to, to come out. And that's what Hoaglander did in, in Toronto, right? Because he's been playing very well overall. And I agree, he should be in the lineup uh, on a consistent basis. But that sequence in one of Toronto's goals, I can't remember which one, was pretty ugly where he missed the rimmed puck around the wall. Um, then he lost the, lost the puck in his feet to John Tavares in the slot. And then I think it was off of, uh, maybe off of uh, Nylander's goal. In the second period, that was one of um, the Leafs' important sort of goals for their pushback in the second period there. And that's the type of play that Bovillier doesn't make those mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And ho- credit to Hoaglander, he's cut down his mis- mistakes enough to the point where, again, I'm with you that he should be an everyday part of this lineup. But there's just so much competition, and he sort of he, he gave the coaching staff that reason. And coaching staffs, it's not just Rick Tockett, they're risk-averse. So even though people are complaining, and I get it, about Hoaglander being scratched, I guarantee you most coaches, right or wrong, would be making the same decision in this um, in this spot. But the other side of the coin, too, is at some point, Hoaglander's got to get back in. Like, yeah. I don't want to see him on a healthy scratch extended, especially when he started to make progress. He's more important as a long-term piece to have, considering his contract, considering how cheap he is yep. locked up for next season, yep. than an Anthony Beauvillier. Yeah, like you would definitely want him as a part of your lineup next year. And it doesn't look like Anthony Bovilli is getting an extension anytime soon. Do you want to talk about Elias Pettersson uh, anymore? People, you didn't get your uh, contracts in the, uh, in the anyone else. No one, uh, no one really got much. I mean, a lot of people kind of agreed with us that, yeah, it's going to be around the 13 million mark. It's going to be quite a bit. So we'll see what it comes down to. Frank Cervelli had the report today. Uh, we covered it over at CanucksArmy.com. So if you want to go read more about it, go over there but that was from patrick alvin at the gm meetings uh, i got a question another anyone else Corey anderson asks how does horvat get a pass there and no one ever brings up lack of accountability with the leadership group that seems to be better once he was traded that is a perfect segue i don't know if you did it on purpose to our atlas goods poll question pull it up grady our poll question is brought to you by the great folks over at atlas goods you can use promo code cc15 for 15 percent off your first order of pop rinds the best fresh pork rinds straight from your microwave or air fryer and you can visit them at atlasgds.com high protein low carb locally owned and operated these are pork rinds like you've never seen them before go check out atlasgds.com our poll question how will you receive Bo Horvat in his return to Vancouver on Wednesday? Applaud him, boo him, and as always, I'm angry. I'm not surprised about this. 77% of the 665 voters at the time of this screenshot said that they will applaud him. 15% said I will boo him, and 8% said they are angry. The leadership group touched on this today. That article is also over at CanucksArmy.com. They want to see a warm welcome for Bo Horvat when he returns to Vancouver tomorrow night. And honestly, like I threw it out on Friday show that I think people have legitimate reason as we see with Corey Anderson in the chat here. I think there's a lot of fans that are kind of looking at it and saying, okay, yeah, the team wasn't very good while you were here, but Bo was far from a perfect player. And it wasn't like this. You, you got to build around this guy. Like it's, it's a, it, it's not, entirely his fault but i don't i also don't think it's coincidence that everything gets better as soon as he leaves like do do you think that's that's the case here 
Oh man, quads not again. I'm just saying. I don't think it, I don't think it's an entire. I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's entirely his fault. But the leadership group has this in, increased level of accountability. Where was that before? It, you couldn't keep Louis Erickson accountable or whoever, like whoever was here over the years. You couldn't keep those guys accountable. Like we've seen this now where Taki keeps talking about how everybody on this team is now a self-starter and all these guys are taking care of themselves and he's rarely having to step in and the leadership group's handling a lot of stuff. The leadership group, the leadership group. Where was that before? And I know it wasn't just Bo. We had like, who's in the leadership? Brandon Sutter, Chris Tanev. Who else was there? Other guys. Edler. Edler. Yeah, there you go. I just... Look, at the end of the day, yes, he was captain, but he, first of all, he's not your franchise player, right? I see all these criticisms about he doesn't, you know, he didn't defend well enough. He couldn't kill penalties. He didn't make his line mates better. And fair enough, he's not a franchise player. He's he's brought in to be a second, he's drafted and developed to be a second, third third line line center center, who ended up becoming a second line center and he makes five and a half million. Yep. That's what he made while he was in Vancouver. This wasn't like John Tavares yep. in um, in Toronto where he's making 11 million sheets and you're saying, dude, you're paid this much. How are you not able to, you know, um, you know, where there's that level of amplified pressure. Bo, Bo did what he did. He, as you mentioned, wasn't a perfect player, but he didn't need to be. That wasn't the expectation. And to me, I don't understand why you would blame one of the only few good core pieces on that roster, especially one that stepped up in the bubble, played his best hockey sure. when the stakes were highest. Um, just because his GM couldn't build a competent roster around him. This isn't the NBA where it's on like three guys to get a sure. team going. It's, it's on, um, it's, it's on management and coaches and really it comes down to the roster you're working with. And to, to Corey's question, sorry, quads to Corey's okay. question there. Uh, they hired Talkett eight days before Horvat was traded. So why did the leadership group seem to get better? It's because they brought in a new coaching staff. They brought in Rick. They brought in Adam Foote. They brought in Sergei Goncher to kind of say, okay, what's going on here? How can we fix this both on and off the ice? There's a reason why that was so close and you saw the immediate effect, maybe partially because it was Bo, but I think it's more so the instructors, the communicators inside that dressing room. Because let's be honest, Boudreaux wasn't the best for holding players accountable. And I think players have talked about it, you know, on and off the record about how they could kind of get away with things, you know, whether that was because they were losing or just because it was, you know, Bruce's coaching style or it was a little bit of both. So uh, I, I I'm going with harm here. It's, it's not like hockey is one sport where a superstar will impact your team so much. Like look at some of the line mates Bo had with them, like Sven Berchi, Louis Erickson in those years. Like, do you really expect them to compete as a playoff team when, you know, a lot of the nights you're just asking for him to keep up those guys to keep up on a rush. Like, you know, he w- was what he was a shoot first center who could get 50, 60 points and it was only kind of in the last few years here as we saw him really elevate his game. Where he grossly cheated for offense. Like, <laughs> right? Are, are we not I mean, the say whole that? was the whole team. JT Miller was doing the same. Like, Absolutely. you didn't see him back-checking, right? Absolutely. And that goes to my point about the whole coaching staff, the structure that we always harp on. Like, l- go back and look at the dates, people. It's not that far but, off. And Greedy, good points. But I feel like we have to not pretend like this is all Bruce Boudreaux's fault. Like, oh, Bo are, deserves a little bit of are, amount of criticism sure, here. But are we absolutely also, are and, and there's some good stuff in the chat here that I want to read really quickly here. But like this this goes further than just yeah, they you know, Bo is cheating for offense when Bruce is here, or this was happening, or this was happening. Some really good points in the chat here. Christian A said, Talk seems to have an environment where guys feel comfortable being outspoken and taking leadership roles. So that's further to Grady's point, which I liked is that hey, you know what? There was a lot of problems with this organization from the top down. We've learned that much over the years and they started to really get better, especially down at ice level when Tockett came in. But another one from NAR here said, remember when Stan Smeal was pleading with the players to play for the logo? This became necessary under Bo's lackluster leadership. More of a spokesman than a captain. Nice guy though. And that's the thing. I want to be clear. I like Bo Horvat, as is every media member, which is why everybody's super nice to Bo Horvat. And I, I think he gets very nice coverage in this town. And I, you know, I think a lot of it was deservedly so. But I think 
we have to be able to have this conversation. And if fans want us to talk about it, and there's fans who are on both sides here, we have to listen to what they're saying. I don't think you can just, no, no, no. Bo was a good guy, blah, blah, blah. This, this happened, this happened. Here's a positive, positive, positive. Like, Bo was the first player I ever talked to on my Botchford project night. I have nothing against Bo Horvat personally. I think he's, I think he's a great guy. I think he's a super nice guy. I don't love how he went out. And look, I know a lot of fans took issue with the uh, it's better than Vancouver quote. I don't even care about that. I have no problem with that. I took that as a shot at management and the team, you know, the team building around him. But we saw former players that have been there, done that, that came out and hated that quote and said, look, Bo, you were the captain of that team. They didn't get it done when you were there. This at least has to be part of the conversation. To me, it just comes down to, at the end of the day, it's not on one guy, yeah. right? When, yeah. when Stan Smeal, for instance, is saying something like that, it's not on one guy, even though he is the captain, to hold everybody accountable. And again, I'm not saying he was a perfect captain, certainly wasn't a perfect leader. Uh, but to say that, let me put it this way, I just don't think the results of this franchise would be drastically different if Bo was a little bit of a better leader. I just, to me, it was an sure. overall environment problem. And for Bo to take the brunt of that criticism, if you're going to drag Bo into that, then you also have to throw other guys like, to be quite honest, for like JT has been dominant this year. Then JT has to be thrown into that conversation for last season. The team struggles, struggles as well. Um, And again, it just, then, then it again, goes back to the original point that it's just not on one guy. This is what it comes down to in the end. And I think this is a perfect way to kind of close out this conversation is that yes, Bo Horvat had flaws as a leader, as a player, absolutely. But virtual reality channel in the chat here said, you don't have enough evidence to pin the culture problem on Bo. The culture problem was Benning and Aquilini, and there is yep. plenty of evidence and for that. remember the whole Boudreaux sideshow thing. You know, that wasn't yep. just this new management group. That was on Francesco Aquilini hiring a coach before he hired a president of hockey ops, which is backwards business now i know rutherford said they were good with it yada yada but we heard from the get-go that uh bruce boudreau was not rutherford's and alvin's guy well and sure enough you know boudreau lasts as long as he did they bring in their own guy and talk it yeah obviously the the big miscommunication there was when rutherford said publicly that I didn't know Bruce had a second year right. on the contract. Like that, <laughs> you would that was think big, he would know. Yes, that was the big that was the big indictment on the whole uh, Bruce Boudreaux situation. But a lot of sideshows going on. A lot of sideshows during Bo's tenure. Yeah. Uh, as we close this out, I think uh, I think it is important to say that I think the best way, and this is a reply to our tweet, and I don't have the tweet open, so I'm sorry I can't find who tweeted this. I thought it was the best reply was, look, you're a sports team. He talked about how quiet the crowd was in Vancouver. Look, team wasn't good. They were quiet. Sure. Team's rolling right now, folks. So when they play that video tribute, go ahead and cheer. I'm not telling people what to do, but this is what I would do, I think. Go ahead and cheer. I won't. I'm in the press box. But go ahead and cheer. (laughs) When they play the video tribute, you know, do your clap, whatever you want to do. Every time he touches the puck, you boo that guy. The better than Vancouver quote wasn't that big of a deal. You boo him when he touches the puck. You're what? No. You're dead silent when Bo Horvath touches the puck. What are you talking about? Dude, look how this guy gave no. up the prime of his career. You spent okay. it miserable but in Vancouver. But he still said that quote that you need to at some point. If Look, no, are you is... a respectable fan base? Or are you just going to sit there and sit there with your arms no. folded every time he touches the puck? <laughs> no, this is what you do. Come on. The Canucks beat the wheels out of this struggling Islanders team. Well, yeah. And you make it just an unbelievable atmosphere sure. and cheer louder than you've ever cheered before in that yep. way. That's a little more positive. You don't have to boo Bo. You just this, and this is where it's on the team too. Curb stomp the Isles. They're they're in crisis mode. They're like the Oilers were last week, where they've been having fire fire chance for Lamorello, their their head coach. Uh, But looks like Bo hasn't uh, (laughs) picked a team that uh, was much better there when he resigned. But yeah, you just beat the wheels off them, and Rogers Arena will be rocking. Give it give it to Bo that way. I like that too. (laughs) People in the chat. I don't know if you guys have the chat open. It's great. People in the chat are saying Horvat stepped on my dog. Horvat likes, <laughs> Horvat likes plastic straws more than paper straws. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, that's fine. Anyways, okay. Um, do you have anything else? Oh, no, we got a couple ad reads. What am I doing? I'm getting this out of here way too soon. Okay, we got anyone else. Uh, Betway, bet of the day. And then we got a quick, quick little prospect roundup courtesy of our friends at uh, four wins brewing, but let's get to Betway bet of the day. Pull it up here, Grady. We've uh, got it here. Simple. 
we're going simple tonight. Vegas Golden Knights, their first trip out east, as our friend Jeff Patterson told us, to win on the money line against those Washington Capitals. A $10 bet gets you $16.66 in return over on Betway. Must be 19 plus to play if you choose to play. Please play responsibly. Okay, lightning quick. Lightning quick on the four wins prospect roundup because we don't have much. Uh, The Blackfish report came out this morning. You can go read it at CanucksArmy.com. Lots of good stuff in there, but I don't just want to recite everything that Dave Hall wrote over at Canucks Army. So go read it for an entire lengthy prospect report with point totals and all of that. But it is time for our four wins prospect roundup. Family owned and operated in Delta. Four Winds Brewing is the home of the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Akito Hirose, that's the guy that gets the call up. Uh, Jonathan LeCaramaki wrapped up at the four nations tournament as well. Those are the main things going on in prospect land. I don't know how long Hirose is going to stay here. I really actually did like your points about um, how he played in the preseason compared to a guy like Will Annan. I just think also Cody, Cody mentioned in the chat, Will Annan's not banged up. He played a ton of minutes in their last game. And uh, Cody said, if he is banged up, it's because he had the whole team on his back during that <laughs> game. So um, don't know if he's banged up. Um, not that he was necessarily let me try and find this tweet in the meantime. You, yeah, you go ahead. Up. Go ahead. Uh, the standout performer of the week in the Blackfish Report, which is what I want to focus on, is Max Sasson, who delivered an impressive three-point game on Saturday with two goals and an assist. This is a guy ah, I think... I found oh, it. Here we go. Let's so, it. Randy Janda, Taka says decision on call-up from Abby was between Hirose and Wallanen, a 50-50 decision, but Wallanen tweaked something. There you go. Harmon was I right. wasn't wrong. Our Abbotsford guy gets it wrong. Come on, Cody. I know you have a full-time job and everything. But anyways, <laughs> Max Sasson, this is a guy that they signed as an NCAA free agent last year. But because his ceiling is more of a, okay, this guy might make the NHL if, if he lives up to his absolute highest potential, I think he's kind of flown under the radar. But he's been great down in Abbotsford. And like I just said, um, two goals and an assist on Saturday. So he's the standout performer of the week in the Canucks Army Blackfish Prospect Report. Okay, anything else that you'd like to get before we close it out here? Nope. All right. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is David Guadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.